Hello and welcome to Hypermobility University Podcast. This is an educational podcast where healthcare providers and patients who deal with people with hypermobility are sharing their knowledge and experiences. My name is Sarah Feruza and I'm a physical therapist specializing in hypermobility at Perfect 10 Physical Therapy. Here we go. All right, here we go. So welcome to this episode of the Hypermobility University Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Lorna Ryan. She's a registered clinical nutritionist and a nutritional therapy practitioner. Lorna, thank you for coming on to speak with us. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Of course, of course. So a couple of questions uh, to help people learn a little bit about who you are. What got you into the field of nutrition? So I was quite poorly myself and my nature of research, I'd already done a master's in research for disability, and my love of food took me down a journey of researching nutrition for my own health and mm-hmm. uh, helped me working with my dietitians at the time to eat um, whole foods, not being reliant on prescription meal replacements and tube feed. And that's really how I got into the science and the learning of, it, of nutrition. And then I was like, oh, OK, I really want to study this properly. And so that's when I enrolled in a formal academic education. Okay, that's great. That's great. So you mentioned your love of food. What are some of your favorite foods? Oh, you know, now I love everything. I, we can split it into meals and snacks. I'm a huge chocolate fan. Okay. And love Japanese food. So Japanese Asian palate. Yeah. Um, And you know, a huge bowl of spaghetti bolognese as well. Tray of roasted veg, lots of things. Yeah. It's making me hungry. It's almost lunchtime for me here. So I know it's dinner time here as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So what are some common misconceptions in the field of nutrition that you hear from clients or things that people believe maybe they've been told by social media or by friends or family um, that you hear that are, that are not correct? Sure. There's a plethora. <laughs> people come with their sort of belief systems of what they've been exposed to and really the misconceptions is that people need to follow strict diet protocols or ways of eating and that they have to rely on supplementation and that they might need a probiotic for life or a fish oil for life so it's kind of like the belief system that they need to follow a trend Um, and also that they Um, I want to pick my words carefully because we don't want to break the um, break that belief system but a lot of people that come into clinic have a misconception that dietary support can supersede their medical interventions so quite often I'm asked how can I come off this medication and you're like that's for your doctor so these are kind of the misconceptions and and we need to tread very carefully that people don't feel that they they've been stupid for believing things But at the same time, we need the message of, we don't need strict diets. We don't need to rely on supplementation and dietary intervention is not to replace for medical care and prescription drugs. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit, uh, as you know, I work with a lot of patients with Ehlers-Danlos syndromes and uh, the variety of comorbidities that come along with that. And I know you do as well. And one of the common Uh, reports that I hear is people suffering from fatigue, from pretty severe fatigue. 
So I understand that nutrition is individualized and that you're not just going to give certain nutrition advice based on one symptom alone. And as well, like you said, it's not a replacement for medical care. But is there anything important from a nutrition standpoint that you tend to look at or recommend for people who are suffering from fatigue? Yeah, absolutely. And it's really important to dig deep into a clinical consultation around someone's fatigue. So we're looking at patterns that they might sort of feel. And like yourself, physiotherapy, we're always interested in what their other modality cares are feeding back. Um, in terms of the nutrition consultation, we're looking at nutritional deficiencies. And in that, we'd be looking at sort of what we call the big guys of the nutrients, the iron ferritin, the B12, potentially other B vitamins. So we're making sure they don't have nutritional deficiencies or suboptimal levels. We're looking at hydration as well. And that's not just fluid intake, it's appropriate electrolyte balance because the sodium potassium ratio can interplay with fatigue for energy regulation. Um, we're looking as well is fueling are are the individual appropriately fueled and that's both by looking at their intake of protein fats carbohydrates but also um their meal timing so what they eat if it's fueling for their activity and then we're also really looking at stress so even if we're you know we're a nutrition clinic we are still wanting to know what someone's level of stress is because that might very well interplay with things like cortisol, et cetera. And so fatigue is such a big topic. So we would still want to go back to the doctor and just make sure things like sex hormones, thyroid hormones, other endocrine hormones are um, reviewed. And then that will help us know what we need to do in clinic. So it's, I'm afraid I can't give a one thing answer because it's just so varied for fatigue. No, I think that's really helpful. That's great. I'm going to ask a little side question there. So you mentioned um, hydration in terms of fluid balance as well as electrolyte balance. And that's something that a lot of my clients, especially if they have POTS or conditions like that, are looking for electrolyte supplementation. Do you mm -hmm. have anything you, spe you recommend specifically to help with that electrolyte balance? Yeah, I do in clinics. So we want to start off food first. So many people in the hypermobile spectrum or with hypermobile EDS, for one reason or another, may be reducing food. So first of all, we want to look at, are the foods someone's consuming already rich in the sodiums, potassiums, and other trace elements? If it is, then we want to make sure they have got enough fluid in their diet. So we kind of stack everything up. And if we get to the point of clinical assessment, that an electrolyte might be useful, we obviously have to look at what medication someone is on and make sure that everything to do with sort of liver function, renal function, everything medical is okay. And then we can step in with an electrolyte. I have a few favorites. Um, I always, you know, depending on someone's budget, a good homemade electrolyte recipe will be a good first to go. Um, and then we can move on to some particular products. I don't know if you like to name products on your podcast, um, but um, I... If you have some favorites you want to uh, share, I'd love to hear them. Yeah, I love using for, for the EDS population, potassium by salt stick, because they are buffered. They're really easy for someone just to um, get to their tolerance and time their capsule as they need. And I, I see in clinic that people fare really well on their preparation. And they've also been researched and developed for dysautonomia. 
So we right. they do not have all of the other flavors and sugars that other high streets or shelf bought electrolytes have. And the problem with those is quite often they're stacked up with B vitamins as well. And that's not necessarily appropriate for our community. So mm -hmm. yeah, Celtic potassium is my favorite. Great, thank you for sharing that. I do, I have found that too, that a lot of the, the ones you find in the stores just have so much sugar in it. And um, another nutritionist friend that I was speaking with said that there's been some recent research that the high sugar intake can somewhat like negate the effect of the electrolytes. So that seems- Yeah, and it, it's sort of the need of why is someone taking an electrolyte? For someone that's running a marathon or doing a lot of exercise, the shop-bought sugary ones are great because the body needs that glucose. Mm -hmm. For someone of Anomia, potentially it's not going to be their friend um right and and a lot of it depends on the molecular size as well and that gets quite geeky but a sugar <laughs> molecule is sodium uptake however mm -hmm. the like potassium is buffered so it doesn't need the sugar molecule so there, there's so many factors in in choosing an electrolyte which is why clinical recommendation is best but mm -hmm. um i feel anyway that our population does not need the huge hit of glucose that the other products come with. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Thank you for sharing. So I think we covered some of it a little bit, but is there anything else you can include on things that you look at uh, or tend to recommend for people with EDS or joint hypermobility um, and those sorts of conditions? So there's no one blanket or broad stroke recommendation. It's it has to be individualized of what's going on for that individual. What are their comorbidities? What's their current dietary pattern, et cetera, et cetera. I, I tend to specialize in gut health as well. Okay. And mostly when people come to me, they're already following restrictive diets. So my one, if I could give a broad stroke, it mm -hmm. would be, I would really want everyone to try and open up their diet as safely as possible, because mm -hmm. we know that one start restricting we start getting into other sort of um we start having negative effects of that restriction so i think everyone with hypermobility should be aware that some of their symptoms might not be because they're hypermobile it might be because they're restricting a food and have um then become slightly suboptimal levels of nutrients or that fueling for energy etc etc limiting fiber that has an effect on the gut constipation diarrhea can then be modulated so yeah it's it's a if i could say one thing i could sell a wonderful product or course and be very rich but that's not <laughs> how our condition goes <laughs> so no sorry i can't answer more specific <laughs> that's okay that's okay i think that's just as important to hear um you know that it has to be individualized rather than uh any one specific recommendation. And I definitely understand that in my field as well with, with physical therapy, with movement, same idea. It's, there's not just one specific modality or movement that, that can help somebody because they're hypermobile. It's just about looking at the person. Um, I do have one other question related to that, which I didn't prepare you for. So take your time to answer this one. If you have any thoughts, um, a lot of my clients from a physical standpoint have some trouble with preparing uh, what, what they would consider to be healthy meals or preparing foods when they need it, uh, whether it's due to energy, whether it's due to the, the physical cost of standing up 
to prepare that meal. Um, but yet they want to not just eat takeout and things like that. So do you have any recommendations related to that? I know that's a pretty broad question, but interested to hear anything you have to say. Yeah, I do. And these are sort of um, habits and behaviors, shall we say, that we discuss a lot in clinic. Right. And I, I'm lucky enough to have a master's in research for disability. So I've sort of studied um, other things as well. Now, the, the one thing I want to pick out of that is healthy meals. And a lot of people are scared to what they call cheat and have brought produce because they feel it's not healthy. Yeah. But in answer to your question is make life easy for yourself. Yes, you can take your sort of posture advice from people like yourself, physiotherapy and occupational therapy, and you can sit and you can maybe sit on the sofa with your feet up and chop. Or you could just have tinned vegetables and frozen prepped fruits and vegetables and even meats for that time that you just need a quick freezer grab. You can also batch cook. And I always try to tell clients that have anything in place that's going to make it easy for you, but without making you feel that you failed that day. So even if it's asking a friend, a mother, a sister, a boyfriend, girlfriend to batch cook for you and just portion up, pop it in the freezer and then whatever you have access to, even if it's the purest of nutrition professionals will say, don't use a microwave, but let's pick our battles. If you're if it's going to enable you to have a home cooked food, go ping your microwave um, and just tinned and frozen vegetables are still within our nourishing foods. Great. Great. That's, I think that's really important to hear. Um, I heard something recently uh, where somebody said, don't allow the pursuit of perfection to prevent you from doing good. So um, probably yeah. something like, like frozen vegetables, frozen meals, which can be great, um, but not yeah. feeling like you failed. Absolutely. And do you know what, Sarah, this is just such an important discussion when it comes to dietary patterns and it's this pick your battles. And if during a 24 hour period you are having a flare up or you're feeling ill or you're just so potsy or fatigued, do you know what? There is nothing wrong with just ordering a takeaway if it's going to mean you've eaten. It's just about picking off that menu something that's maybe better. So maybe not deep fried chicken balls and sweet and sour sauce, but, you know, phone say limit our salt can we not have msg you know limit the oil but if it's going to mean that you fuel your body with something that's a protein a fat a carbohydrate vegetables then dial a takeaway i do when i'm not well <laughs> so it's sort of 80 20 yes perfection is something that nobody can achieve yes great thank you that's definitely definitely important to hear um, so something that you and I had spoken about when we met last month and a concern that gets brought up to me a lot is some of my clients who uh, they feel whether they've been told uh, that they have trouble absorbing their nutrients. So maybe they continuously maybe get a test saying that their vitamin D or vitamin D is low and then they supplement that and then continue to get that test result. Do you have any insight onto this or what somebody can do or any general recommendations? Yeah, it's about really deep dive into why there might be that malabsorption. 
And then it's about ensuring their supplement preparation is better suited. So potentially a sublingual, which means it's a, a liquid preparation in the mouth. Um, and then it's really about why, why they continue to be deficient. And the first port of call for safety is always go to the doctor and make sure there's nothing going on with the gut that's preventing absorption. And then different nutrients get absorbed at different areas of the digestive tract. So we can sort of have a really good analysis to what might be going on there. It might be related to bacterial overgrowth. It might be related to other factors. Um, but it's really about that preparation of is a supplement doing what it needs to do? And also people supplement a lot with one nutrient and actually it could be counteracting other nutrients. So it's sort of a, a orchestra of what goes on in terms of absorption. So if somebody is supplementing a lot and they're still deficient, we want a medical GP or um, um, I forget what they're called in America. I'm so sorry. Yeah, uh, pr primary care doctor. That's it, primary care. So in, in the UK, it's a GP. In America, it's primary care doctor. We'd want to go back and just have a medical review for safety. And then we want to have a bit more of a deeper dive into what might be going on. And also, do they just need more? Is it dose and preparation suitable? Great, great. That's helpful. That's helpful. Okay, so a little bit back to you and your practice. Is there a certain type of client that's your favorite to work it, work with and that can have to do with their specific problem or diagnosis or any trait about that person that really gets you excited? Yeah, well, I have such a problem-solving geeky research brain that I love the complex people. <laughs> um, I love it when there's a myriad of issues going on and yet a simplified approach is going to be better because it's like light bulb moments for people. In terms of the actual sort of issues, I love gut issues. That's sort of where my little geeky brain goes. So anything gut, gut brain axis, nervous system, I really, really enjoy, but I do see everything. Um, okay. And in terms of the person, their personality, obviously in the psychological module, we know why some people aren't very compliant or they might not trust. Um, but I do love it when clients come to clinic and they are ready. They're ready to trust you. They're ready to make changes. And they're really eager to see the light at the end of the tunnel and work closely with you. You know, obviously some people come to clinic and then they're just not ready to come back for a follow-up for many reasons, or they don't quite trust the suggestion because they think, well, she's only given me two things to do. And I thought I'd have this huge meal prep, this massive supplement protocol. So I love the clients that are at the place to really hear you and work with you and trust you and just putting everything into helping themselves. Um, yeah, and that's that sounds, um, it sounds like I'm not very patient with the other type of client profiles but I am, it's just that I love it when I see clients put everything into it and get better. Mm -hmm. And sort of, I mean, and I don't want your listeners to think this is just two or three sessions in, this is like six months hard graph work. Um, yes, I love the compliant clients. Yes, yes. I think it's easy to say most people in, in our type of field probably do because with that compliance comes results and it comes improvement in the patient and, and there's no way that can't, can't make you feel good as a practitioner to uh, see somebody exactly. 
improving and and probably some of their quality of life improving as well yeah yeah um okay so in general what are some signs that somebody should work with a nutritionist and i know that's a broad question but what would uh what would be your answer to that so there's two two responses really firstly if someone's come through sort of medical care and it has been highlighted to them that they have potentially nutritional deficiencies or that their their symptoms could be managed with better dietary advice that's sort of say client type a client type b would be someone at home that's really confused about the misinformation out there they're not feeling great they have got symptoms and they're just confused how best to eat and then they come for guidance so we sort of have the two subtypes of people um, and it's important for someone if they feel that they need help is to make sure they've got the most appropriate practitioner. So there's many red flags we would be looking for in whether a client is suitable for any nutrition clinic. So if potentially someone, you know, if any of your listeners are thinking that they would like dietary support because they're really confused or they've identified a relationship with food, then they would want a dietitian that is qualified to help with disordered eating. If someone has certain medical conditions, they need to make sure that their nutrition professional is qualified and experienced to support their medical conditions. And even though everyone's hypermobile or EDS, within that, they might have comorbidities that they need to make sure that their practitioner is qualified and experienced to help with. And then it's um, really, really important if someone feels that they, yes, I want help. I'm ready for help, but I think it would be useful. They have to really like their nutrition professional and be on the same page. Because if you don't like someone, you're not going to trust them and you're not going to open up and um, take advice well. So I hope that answers that question. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so I think those signs do encompass a lot of the people I see in clinic and probably a lot of the people listening to this podcast so if somebody wanted to learn more about your practice or they wanted to reach uh, to work with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? And do you offer telehealth? Are you able to work with people in the United States or other countries? Yeah, so my, my client population is international. I've got clients everywhere. I have a lot of US clients. So my insurance and my um, regulatory body includes America. Um, the best way for people is I'm really, I love talking to people first. And if anyone wants to reach out by email, Lorna at lornaronhealth.com, then we always have a little discovery call, which is just to make sure I'm the right clinician for the person and also their case is suitable for my care in clinic. But I'm also on Instagram um, and everywhere else. I would say I have a website, but at the moment it's down because I'm just too busy. <laughs> clients <laughs> but um Instagram messages there's not that much really good information out and I'm always open to people picking my brains I cannot give any clinical advice outside consultation but if people are curious to see if consultations is right for them then I'm always happy to have a chat or a message great great Lorna, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this great information. I really appreciate it.